Greetings, you beautiful heathens, you. Welcome to another episode of Hail Satan. This is a podcast exploring Satanism, culture, and life in general through the eyes of modern Satanists. I am going to be your host. My name is Joseph Rose. I am a member of the Satanic Temple. I'm also founder of a little group called Satanic Delco. And if you're a Satanist, or suspect that you might be, and you happen to live in southeastern Pennsylvania, come check out Satanic Delco, and I think you'll find that we're a very welcoming, friendly little group. So come see us. Today on the show, I'm going to present you with a conversation I had recently with Lilith Starr. She's the author of a cool book called The Happy Satanist, and I was really pleased with the way it went, so I'm excited for you to hear that. Before we get into it, I've got some of the usual business to get to, and I'm going to start with a list of some wonderful, generous new people that have signed up to support the show through our Patreon channel. Let's see, we've got Alan Salas, Chris DiGiacomo, Dev Gregori, Kate Sweeney, Francesca Frankelank Gentili, Miles Kalbach, and Antonio Varela. I'm sorry, everyone, if I have mispronounced and mangled your poor names. <laughs> um, I'm doing my best, you know? Thank you, sincerely. You know, I do these episodes, and I say thank you to everyone, and, you know, I don't know how it sounds. It might seem like I'm just going through the motions sometimes, but trust me, when I get that email that comes in telling me that someone else out there in some corner of the country or the world has chosen to support this show, it is really such a great feeling. You know, it it really just is fantastic to know that people are appreciating what I'm doing enough to go push that button and support the show with a few real-world dollars. Um, I don't even know what to say. I sincerely love it, and I thank you, and I appreciate you so much. I really do. Now... We're going to move on to some listener mail. I get a bunch of messages from you guys. That's another thing. I really appreciate all the messages that you guys are sending in. Some people write in with questions. Some people are looking for advice. Some people are just sort of giving feedback on the show. And I love all of it, and I wish I could read them all, but that would make probably for a weird podcast. So I'm going to pick a few. Sometimes I edit them down just for time, since I don't know how long you want to sit there listening to me read. But we've got one from Allison. She writes in, Greetings. I heard about your podcast this week and have already listened to every episode. I'm originally from Nebraska, where the unofficial religions are Christianity and football. I'm an educator by trade, so I don't feel comfortable openly flying my satanic colors at work. However, I do occasionally wear my reproductive rights shirt from TST on days I'm feeling brave. It helps that I don't think anyone would peg me as a Satanist at first glance, which I love because it gives me a chance to confront stereotypes and assumptions about Satanists. Sadly, the flip side of that is that sometimes I feel like an imposter, as if claiming Satanism is just me sticking it to the man, even though I know that I deeply and genuinely believe in the seven tenets just as firmly as a Christian believes in the Ten Commandments. And while I enjoy other podcasts about atheism, it's especially refreshing and reassuring to have a go-to podcast where I know my values are represented through a mutual belief in the seven tenets. It reminds me that there are others who sincerely believe the same things, even if many outsiders see Satanism as a joke rather than a religion based on a sincere moral code. Thank you for this podcast and for helping further grow and develop an active community. Hail Satan! Allison, thank you very, very much for writing me this thoughtful message. And let me see, let, let me look through some of what you've written here. The part about you feeling like an imposter, um, fuck that. You're not an imposter. And there are no limits to what you can look like or any of that stuff, you know? And and I think, you know, we might have another message coming up that touches on some of those similar feelings. 
And let me just tell you that what you're doing is exactly the way you should be doing it. You know, if there are days when you feel okay about showing a little bit more of that, by all means, show it. You know, I come from a place where my my thought on the matter, for me personally, my personality is the type that says, fuck it. I don't care what anybody thinks. If people are going to judge me because of this shirt or this belief of mine or this whatever, then I kind of just make it a habit to not give a fuck about that. But I understand that realistically, most people aren't always able to have that sort of carefree attitude about those things, especially when it affects something like your livelihood. I'm sure you can't walk into your school or you know wherever it is that you work as an educator wearing all kind of crazy satanic bullshit all over you, even if you wanted to. And of course, I understand. So don't you give even one moment of concern to being an imposter or feeling like you need to dress or look or act a certain way uh, to fit in with what Satanism is. You are the picture of what a Satanist looks like, and you remember that every time you look at yourself in the mirror, okay? Next up, we've got an email from a bit of a celebrity. This person is named Pikachu, right? That's a that's some kind of, uh, you know, one of these fucking things. <laughs> I don't know. Pikachu. Hi, Hail Satan Podcast. I just wanted to write a quick thank you for all the work you are doing. I really resonated with the interview with Ben regarding his debate on whether he is an atheist or a Satanist, as I've been struggling with that myself. Like Ben, I find the imagery of the Satanic Temple to be a bit dark, and I worry that calling myself a Satanist will result in people viewing me differently. I really like how you discuss that all you need to believe to be a Satanist is to follow the seven tenets. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on this, as I can finally call myself a Satanist, but align more with rainbows, unicorns, and puppies, instead of heavy metal, horror movies, and dark imagery. I sincerely hope that your podcast will show people that you can be a Satanist without embracing all of the aesthetics. Thank you again for helping me make the leap to become a Satanist. Hail Satan and hail yourself. And Pikachu, thank you. Again, like our previous message, you're doing it just right. If you want to align yourself with rainbows and unicorns and puppies, by all means, that is what you're free to do. None of you guys should ever feel pressured in any way to associate yourself with a culture or an aesthetic that doesn't make you feel comfortable. In fact, that's what Satanism is supposed to be for. You're not supposed to have to fit yourself into these little boxes and into these behaviors and cultures that you don't find natural. And yeah, it's easy to associate Satanism with all of the heavy metal and the dark stuff. I get it. And that stuff is a lot of fun for all of us. I enjoy some of it. But again, you know, I think I've mentioned it on an episode previously, where if you see me walking down the street or through, through the supermarket, you wouldn't think twice. You wouldn't notice me. You wouldn't look at me dressed in some outlandish, you know, overly sort of gothic type of way or anything like that. You know, I'm not, I don't have the, the black eye makeup dripping down my face. I don't look like a fucking King Diamond walking around, you know? I'm just a dude. I'm wearing blue or black jeans. I'm wearing a black t-shirt pretty much 98% of the time, but it's pretty low-key. I'm just a dude. And uh, you should feel comfortable being yourself, dressing the way you want to dress, enjoying the types of culture that you like to enjoy, and you just present yourself in whatever way you want to present yourself and don't give a single fuck about what another person, Satanist or otherwise, has to say about it, okay? Now, one final message. I was I was a little on the fence about whether or not to include this one and to read this one on the air, and you'll see why, but I am going to do it. Uh, it's from a listener named Possum. Hi, I just wanted to say that I love your podcast and I had a question. I'm 13 years old and discovered Satanism in late October of this year. I really want to join the Satanic Temple, but I don't know if my mom will be okay with it or understand. I don't want to join without her consent. Any ideas of what I should do? 
I really love Satanism because my views align with it so much, and I love the phrase, an atheist with a moral code. Anyway, thank you because this podcast really helps me learn. Possum. Well, possum, my child, listen to me. (laughs) No, I'm going to be responsible with the advice that I give you. Uh, First of all, thank you so much for writing in. From the tone of this email, you sound like a very intelligent, bright young person. And it's really great that you've discovered the Satanic Temple. And I can say that it's really great because I genuinely believe in the seven tenets. I believe they are moral and they make a lot of sense and they provide a healthy moral compass for those looking for one to align themselves with. The fact that you are only 13 years old is what gave me a little bit of hesitation because, you know, I don't want to be on here willy-nilly saying crazy shit to young teenagers. I can't speak to specifically how you should approach this in regards to dealing with your mom and whether or not she'll be okay with it or anything. Now, I know that joining this satanic temple is harmless. You send an email on their website, and they send you an email back, and then they occasionally send you email newsletters, and that's about it. That's as far as membership gets you, and you don't need to do anything more, and you're not going to be involved in anything weird or troubling or anything like that. As a 13-year-old surfing around on the internet, you've probably already run into things that would be much more troubling to a parent than the type of information that the Satanic Temple is going to send you in your email. Only you know the specifics of your relationship with your mom and how she would feel about it. It is very mature and responsible of you to even be thinking about needing your mom to be okay with it or understanding and not wanting to do it without her consent. So I'm not going to give you any direct advice as to whether or not you should do that without her consent. In my opinion, one signing up for the Satanic Temple's email newsletter is pretty harmless. But you know your mom best, so I would go ahead and try to have that conversation with her. And I think when you do it, the best way to do it would be to lead with the seven tenets and say, Mom, I found this thing that feels really great to me, and I really like what they have to say, maybe you can take a look at it and tell me how you feel about it and present her with the seven tenets and see what she has to say and use your judgment and go from there. If she's really against it and doesn't seem like she wants to listen and she starts in with some, oh my God, Satan, blah, 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 I'm not getting into any devil worship with you, You might not be able to convert a parent like that, in which case I say, you sign right up for the Satanic Temple's newsletter if you feel like it's the right thing to do, and you live your life, and I hope your mom comes around. But what I really hope is that your mom is as bright and level-headed as you seem to be, and I hope she has an open mind and is understanding of what you show her. So thank you, Possum, for writing in. I really do appreciate it. Now, guys, before I get into the interview with Lilith Starr, it is my job to remind you to visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. On the website, you'll find links to our social media. You'll find a form to send us an email, which I strongly encourage you to do. And you'll find a link to join our Patreon channel, which is the best way to directly support the show if you'd like to do that. I appreciate everyone that chooses to, but of course it is optional. Okay, now I'm going to get into the interview I did with Lilith Starr. I hope you all enjoy it. We're now joined by the author of a fantastic book called The Happy Satanist. Her name is Lilith Starr. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for the invite. Oh, you got it. First, I just want to say I really enjoyed your book. The cover of the book says, Finding Self-Empowerment, and I feel like that really was the strength of the book, the overarching message of empowerment. Mm 
Was that something you set out to do from the beginning or did they just sort of add up that way? Um, I don't think I was really realizing what the core theme was. Um, you know, so you've read the book, so, you know, it's very personal, um, many of the essays. And basically, I was just telling my story um, and how I came to Satanism and how much that affected me. But looking back, you know, as I had all the essays together, I realized that it really was that story about how Satanism brought me that self-empowerment that I had been missing my whole life, you know, up until I was 39. So, yeah, I think it was sort of after the fact, as it all got pulled together, I realized that that was what I was talking about. So Yeah, that was um, really effective, I thought. As I was reading through the book, I felt myself sort of genuinely getting, you know, caught up in it, <laughs> I think. <laughs> well, I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was really great. Before you discovered and embraced Satanism, did religion play much of a role in your upbringing or earlier parts of your life? Well, kind of yes and kind of no. So I was raised without religion. My parents were hippies. Um, my grandparents were Lutheran. And, you know, once a year we'd visit and I would go to the church for Christmas. Um, and that really did affect me. Um, I really, I guess I was a seeker after the sacred from a very young age, and that was the only religion that I really saw, and I liked the parts that I saw, which were, you know, the fellowship, everybody lit candles and sang together, and it seemed really beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I, I was interested in Christianity, um, separate from my upbringing by my parents, um, and I, I got into it and I really thought I wanted to be a part of it. Um, I started studying to be confirmed. I was actually an altar girl for a little while. Wow. Um, and I had myself baptized at 11, but um, I pretty quickly realized that it, it wasn't what I thought it was. It was just chock full of misogyny, um, you know, and I thought it taught compassion, but the pastor's kids were the ones that bullied me the most. I, I've always been, you know, teased and bullied uh, growing up the whole time. So it just, it really turned me off. And then I started uh, getting into Wicca and I got really involved with that. And um, I started like a, you know, a Wiccan coven and a Wiccan group at my high school. And I, it was the 80s, but I had no idea the satanic panic was going on. So, you know, I was wearing my pentagram and everybody knew I was a witch and I, I didn't understand quite why everybody was so wigged out by it. Um, I had no idea people were thinking, you know, I was part of a group that was, you know, sacrificing babies in the in the woods or whatever. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I went through phases. Um, I became a Zen Buddhist for a while. And that still kind of informs me. And you can see some of that in the book. Sure. Um, but um, yeah, so it's always it's always been important to me. But but, you know, over time, it's really evolved into just my own path. I thought I would never be part of, you know, somebody else's religion. Basically, by the time I had found Satanism, I had developed my own path, which was, you know, it was kind of based in. Wicca and dark goddess archetypes, but but strictly non-theistic. You know, I just saw them as archetypes. But it did focus quite a bit on ritual, rituals that I wrote myself. And, um, you know, at the time, right before I found Satanism, I really had this epiphany that love was, you know, the most powerful force on earth, especially for me. So, you know, the path that I was on before I discovered Satanism was kind of a you know, priestess of the dark path of love is, you know, how I describe myself. Um, so, yeah, I, it was a pretty big part of my life, but it really, I never thought I would go back to any kind of, you know, organized religion. Right. When you were younger, you mentioned you were fairly involved with Christianity and all of that. Was there a period where you were struggling with the actual belief you know, at the end of the day, all of that comes along with a belief in a God and all of that. Was there a time when you reached a point of like, well, do I believe this? I guess I don't. 
Yeah, definitely. And that was the time where I was starting to get disillusioned. Um, you know, I just I couldn't imagine a God like the one described in the Bible, um, you know, that would privilege men over women. Uh, you know, there's some really violent, nasty actions that the Old Testament God takes. And I just, yeah. you know, I started thinking, how how is this possible? Like, wh- why are we worshiping this? And I just stopped feeling like there was that higher power looking over us all. I just couldn't believe that he would let such horrible things happen, you know? Yeah. You wrote a bit about finding the Satanic Bible and the role that it played in helping you during some of these pretty dark times in your life. What are some of the things that stood out that you found to be particularly valuable from the Satanic Bible? So there were two main threads running through it that that I took away. And the first was, um, you know, the core message that you are your own higher power and that you are your own God. And that really appealed to me. Um, You know, I didn't have to look outside of myself for anything. Um, And with that also came self-compassion. And and also the thought that, you know, I I had always thought that there were a lot of things wrong with me um, and kind of believed all those messages that society and the bullies had you know, given me that I was the one that was screwed up and wrong. And reading the Satanic Bible made me think, well, wait a minute, maybe society is possibly the one that is messed up and wrong. And it really coincided with our homelessness where I got to see that firsthand, um, you know, where people, you know, homeless people are having the worst, hardest time of their lives and that's the time that people treat them like dirt um and so yeah it it really brought home to me that maybe the problem wasn't all me maybe society was playing a big role too so you know it was that sense of self-compassion like you know i'm fine myself i am my own god um you know everything lies at my feet in my life, not at something external. Um, and the, you know, the flip side of that was the empowerment. Um, if, you know, if I'm my own highest power, then that, you know, that gives me all the control and the power over what I do. So, um, those really jumped out at me. Um, and I kind of liked LeVay's lofty, you know, rhetoric, some of it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, there's there's a fair bit, too, that I I didn't really dig right from the beginning. Um, I I didn't understand how, you know, the belief could be you are your own God, but also might is right. You know, I mean, doesn't that mean that other people are also gods to themselves and, you know, you shouldn't try to overpower that? Uh, So, yeah, that part I didn't really get. But, you know, I took the other two things, self-empowerment and self-compassion from it. Sure. How do you feel nowadays about the general stance or vibe of the Church of Satan? Oh, my gosh, the Church of Satan. Where, where do I start? <laughs> um, most of the people that I, uh, you know, that I met and worked with that were Levian were not in the Church of Satan. So, you know. It was sort of anachronistic already um, when I read the Satanic Bible. Um, You know, they just, all I knew was that they charged $200 for a membership card. And that was really kind of all you got. Um, And it seemed very elitist just when I checked out on their website. But yeah, yeah. um, especially being in TST, it's just so frustrating to watch what COS has become. Like it could have become an ally to TST and moved forward. And I just really felt like um, Gilmore and his administration just sort of withdrew into themselves. And now really the only relevance they claim is that, uh, you know, their song and dance is that TST is not real Satanist. Like it seems like their, their whole purpose now is to try to take back 
you know, that role as the only satanic organization, the only satanic church, right. because it sort of held that position for a really long time. And so now that seems like the only thing that they're, they're just fighting to preserve that. But I feel like they're really going against the stream. Um, you know, I don't feel like they're doing so much that's productive and original and, you know, progressing in their own path. I, I just feel like they're hell bent on trying to tear down others, especially us. So yeah, I have a lot of disdain for them. Right. Um, I, I, usually, I just mostly ignored them, but then they put out that doxing sheet on TST's leaders and, oh, yeah. you know, and I just thought, wow, that's really going a step too far. You know, it's not just tweets saying that they're the only satanic church, but you know, they're really, they're really outstepping their bounds there. So yeah, I don't, <laughs> I yeah. never was really into them, and now I'm definitely not. I'm sure you first came onto my radar through the Satanic Temple one way or another. And so when I was reading your book, I was a little surprised at how much you referenced Anton and the Satanic Bible in your book. Uh, I was going to ask if you find any conflicts between the ideals of the two, but I think you've definitely answered that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you've, you've definitely put your finger on it. Um, most of those essays were written before the Satanic Temple. Right. Um, and I was writing, uh, I was editor in chief for a while of um, the Satanism Facebook page, which was actually you know, pages got a lot more traffic back then. And yeah. we ran it like a magazine. And, you know, so those essays were for that magazine. Um, and that's where I got to meet uh, other Satanists as well. And I found out that I really liked them. Um, most of them, you know, uh, they just seemed smart and just, you know, with it, funny, um, you know, and for the most part, kind you know the ones that i was working with primarily you know seem like cool people but um yeah so a lot of those essays were written for that and it actually it, it has really surprised me how popular the happy satanist has become with tst folk um especially people who are just starting i've seen my book recommended as a starter book yeah you know um, for TST, I've had a lot of people write and tell me that they like got it for their parents or their brother or their sister, you know, so they could kind of understand what it was about. And so I was I was kind of surprised by that. But then I realized there's a fair bit of material that came after the Satanic Temple that's in there, like the I put the tenets in there and my Satanic beliefs and why I'm a Satanist. Like those those all you know kind of reflect the TST mindset, but also a, a lot of the things, even the ones that are based in LeVay, talk about compassion. Yeah. You know, because love was at the center of my universe. Um, I guess in some ways it was kind of a reimagining of LeVay because I realize now that was not really what most LeVayans were about, you know, definitely yeah. not compassion. So I think it's kind of this bridge between the two. But yeah, so you'll see that. You'll see um, there's a number of essays on magic, which, you know, is something that TST doesn't do. Um, you know, we certainly do ritual and the things I describe are, are basically ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just about to ask you about that specifically. You, yeah. you use the term magic fairly often throughout the book. Which, yeah. you know, often we know Anton and particularly the Satanic Bible did as well. And yeah. that's a word that tends to stir up a bunch of different feelings for different groups of people. Um, maybe you can explain what it means to you. Um, certainly. For me, um, magic, I kind of use interchangeably with, with ritual. And, you know, I mean, even LeVay himself, you know, at least in the Satanic Bible, doesn't really give you the sense that magic is, you know, to make some woo things happen supernaturally. Um, it's to affect your own internal subconscious. Right. And so that's how I saw it. Um, and that's a little bit how I still see ritual. Um, you know, I'll do these rituals that happen over time and that involve artwork and flowers. Um, I, 
you know, you talk to Shiva. So what she's talking about as rituals was basically what I was doing as magic. Right. Um, so they're, they're kind of interchangeable. Um, and, I, you know, neither of them are meant to make spooky things happen. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I definitely understand why the term magic is not so great to use because it's very confusing for people outside of, you know, the church or the temple to, to you know, they definitely get the sense that you're trying to do those spooky things. So I, I much prefer the shift to ritual. I think that's a much better description. Um, and actually, my ritual practice before I read Shiva's book was focused mainly on uh, the chapter, the, the Seattle chapter of the Satanic Temple that I was building. Um, and so it was kind of focused outward and um, on the group and definitely took into account that many people had come from the atheist communities and were kind of, you know, turned off a little bit by ritual. Um, so, you know, the rituals I was writing for them were, you know, were not quite as, I guess, magical. Right. Um, a little more uh, grounded. Yeah. 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 Uh, but then I read Shiva's book just earlier this year and it it brought me back to that you know that really important ritual practice for myself on my own that I had stopped doing during those years that I was chapter head and so I've you know for, for the past oh I don't know six or seven months I've been returning to those practices and I find they they are very helpful um, in working through things like working on my book, um, you know, worrying about various, uh, you know, like my social security application. <laughs> um, they just and, and it's a chance for me to play, to be creative, you know, put flowers or stones or whatever on the piece of art that I'm working on. Um, just because I want to not, you know, for any particular reason. So, so yeah, I've been really grateful to her writing for, you know, bringing me back there. Great. So. Yeah. You mentioned you served as a chapter head for the Satanic Temple's Seattle chapter. Since you were part of it so early on, what are some of the ways the Satanic Temple has changed since those early days and what do you think are some of the pros and cons to the ways that it's been evolving over time? Yeah, that's a great question. And it really has changed so much. Um, so I started the Seattle chapter in 2014. And back then, uh, I believe we were only the fifth chapter. And there was no international council there. It was basically, you know, um, Lucian, Malcolm, and Jex, and nobody else. Um, so I was working directly with them. Um, so everything had to go up to them. And, um, you know, they, they were very busy, just as they are now. And there were times when I went for like six or seven months without hearing back from them. Um, so it really was kind of the Wild West. There were no you know, there weren't any templates for how to build a chapter or what a chapter really looks like. So I, I had to build it all from scratch. Um, whereas now there are, you know, there's way more information and leadership and mentorship. Um, so, you know, when they finally put the National Council in place, um, which is now the International Council, um, that made a huge difference. And I think that's one of the biggest pros is there was, you know, now there's actually a level of leadership and dare I say management um, that's geared towards helping the chapters and providing, you know, processes and templates and mentorship, um, you know, that is a lot more uh codified i might say but you know it's been worked out over these years yeah so i saw it you know when the national council was first put in place that was fairly rough um a lot of times we didn't get answers from them for for a long period of time but you know it's it's grown and it's gotten way and way better over time um 
you know, so now, you know, chapter leadership works really closely with the International Council um, and we get answers back very quickly and we also get advice um, and transparency and just, you know, the evolution of that leadership I think is the the biggest difference. Um, also, you know, when I first started, um, the chapters were really heavily focused on activism, like legal activism. Right. And, um, you know, over time, there's just not that many big opportunities to, you know, fight a Ten Commandments monument or, you know, what have you. Um, especially because, you know, TST's resources are limited, not only their personnel, um, but also, you know, our funds for fighting legal battles. And so now with so many chapters everywhere, you know, not every chapter gets to do a bunch of big, high profile activism cases. Um, So that's changed. But with that, um, there's been this shift towards community service. And I think that's been a really beautiful shift, um, you know, because that is one thing that we can do all the time. Um, you know, we're not limited. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it, it does cost some money, but it's not the same as fighting a big protracted legal fight. Yeah. Uh, so, so that shift, um, you know, it, it really helped cement and bond people in a chapter together. I mean, so so does working on an activism case, but, you know, when you're heavily involved all the time in, you know, doing a clothing drive or um, a menstrual product drive or a fundraiser, you know, you're working to help. And that really kind of sinks in and bonds everyone together along those lines, along those compassionate lines. Um, so I think that's actually been a big pro as well. It did drive some people away. Like I had a few people in our chapter leave uh, when, you know, when we started talking about the shift to community service, because in their mind, PST just existed mainly to do that, that legal activism and fight for church state separation. And, and, you know, the, their complaint was doing community service like weakens and softens us, especially our image, Um, you know, and Satanists need to seem fierce and frightening and, you know, at all times to be effective. Right. And, you know, then that's not really the case. Like we're, we're a religion. We're not just an activist group. That kind of leads into this. There's been this growing sentiment amongst some members and certainly former members of TST that bureaucracy has started to maybe cloud the true nature or intent of the group. Um, <laughs> people have called it unsatanic and things like that. Yeah. Um, is that is it just sort of the natural way of things when a group gets larger and needs to deal with such a bigger membership? Um, well, I mean, I... Yes, in the sense that you definitely need organization. I mean, you know, we're, we're huge and there are many moving parts. And, um, you know, it's really important for every part to properly represent TST and align with its mission yeah. and, and to get stuff done. So it's, you know, to me, it's extremely natural that, that there's, you know, organizational levels and, you know, people that are leaders and, you know, basically managers, I, I, you know, like you said, with any group that gets large and complex, you really need that. Uh, Without that, you're just, you know, you're disorganized. Nothing really gets done that well, if at all. Um, But I think there's something else going on with those complaints. And that's this concept that Satanism is extremely individualistic and, what like I see, especially former members, um, you know, complaining that leadership is tyranny, you, you know, like, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, the fact that we have these organizational levels, you know, they think that as Satanists, we need to rebel against that in our own organization. 
And it just boggles my mind because they don't understand that to get shit done, you need that. You know, you need organization and um, processes put in place, you know, otherwise you're just all scattered. Um, But yeah, so I think that's particularly what drives them is this concept that, you know, individuality, you know, means that you can't have anyone, you know, helping you from above or whatever, you know, like you can't have guidelines, you can't have any of this stuff. And and it's, it's just kind of weird to me to see them apply that rebel against tyranny line, you know, to something that is not tyranny and in fact is meant to help the people, you know, in the organization. I mean, it is an organization and such, you know, we need that. But yeah, so I think that's, you know, Satanists are are a particular breed of people for sure. And that they are extremely individualistic. Um, Many of them don't like to take advice or direction um, because they imagine it interferes with their individuality. Yeah. And and I just don't think that's the case at all. Yeah. Um, I guess when you, when you have a, a user base that's so attached to things like individualism and the satanic temple and all of us, we throw around words like rebel and all of that stuff, you know, it, it, I can see where the conflict comes. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And you see, um, like, especially, Church of Satan people complaining about something called, they call collectivism, um, you know, which in their mind is anti-individuality. Um, they they can't imagine, you know, a Satanism where people work together, which is just silly and ridiculous. I mean, that's one of the huge strengths of the temple is that we do work together and we have a lot more power and strength that way. And we make those personal connections while doing this that are really important. Like most of the people in our chapter, that's that's the main reason they stay or they came is the community and that sense of finally finding a group of people who understands you, who accepts you, who you know you feel at home with, you don't have to change yourself to fit in. Um, and that's like a major plus, um, sometimes the biggest plus for people. So these complaints about how collectivism is bad or whatever, you know, that's that, that's coming from that social Darwinist stance where, you know, everybody has to be hyper competitive. Um, when in reality, you know, now science shows us that we're social animals and we're made to work together to survive. So, yeah. Since you stepped down from your position as chapter head. Have you still been pretty active within the chapter out there? Yeah, for the most part. Um, the, the strange thing about me as a chapter head is because I'm um, pretty disabled, like I have extreme back pain all the time, as well as knee pain. Um, I couldn't actually go out in the field mm. and do things like pride or a parade Um I, you know, I did go out for like the after school Satan club um, because that was super important. Uh, but, you know, I'm kind of used to not going out for those events, just putting in place leaders that will be able to handle it. Um, so in that sense, you know, I, I didn't really stop doing what I was doing, which was primarily uh, attending meetings, um, you know, kind of giving advice. Um, so, I, I guess it's been dialed back down to just what a normal, you know, everyday member does. But sure. yeah, I've, I've definitely still retained the sense that that's my family. You know, that's, I, I try to go to every meeting. Um, you know, I've seen it go through, you know, so many changes just since I left and I'm a ride or die bitch. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so your primary reason for stepping down was your health issues. Um, well, it was twofold. Uh, definitely the health issues were just getting to be too much. And honestly, um, it wasn't because of the workload. It was because I just, there's always um, personal conflicts mm-hmm. and, you know, drama, especially at the leadership level. And I, I just got too tired of 
of dealing with it. Um, you know, everything else I could handle, but it just, there were so many people kind of toxic people trying to pull the chapter apart. And I just got tired of having to put out all those fires. Um, you know, so, it's funny. So many things you've mentioned so far are really hitting home for me. I have a, a small group out here where I live and we're just about 300 people. Uh, we're an unofficial group. We're not, a, you know, we're not approaching chapter status or anything. And uh, yeah. it, it's just funny. All these things that you've mentioned so far, I've, I've had a taste of myself and it makes me feel better just to know that like, all right, it's not just me. <laughs> oh God, no. Oh no. Every single <laughs> leader has to deal with this all across the, you know, it happens over and over again. Yeah. Um, you know, don't be surprised if at some point, you know, a person or a bunch of people try to drag other people in the chapter away or, you know, Oh yeah. Oh, we've had it all. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, now that's yeah. a rite of passage for, <laughs> for sure. leaders. Yeah. Uh, so I have a few sort of random questions about, about the book and other things. Um, sure. You wrote a bit about instances of cutting yourself and uh-huh. it felt like you talked about it in a, you know, generally positive way in the book. Did you feel any hesitation to write about that or any fear that it could influence certain people in, in a direction? Um. No, uh, when I was talking about it in the book, um, so I am a self-harmer, but my self-harm isn't usually cutting. It's usually uh, banging my head or biting my wrist, um, you know, or feeling suicidal. Um, the, the cutting that I was doing, uh, so I was really heavily involved with the kink scene for many years. Um, and I took a number of classes on um, on cutting and not like, I think when people think of cutting, usually it's the self-harm kind, which is just like a right. bunch of straight cuts. Um, but um, what we're talking about is uh, a lot like body modification. So you're cutting designs. Um, it's done in a sterile environment, um, you know, and you make sure you don't get infected or anything. Um, so it's, it's something different. Um, it really was like, a combination of art and ritual for me. Um, so, you know, I didn't really think about how that might affect others because it wasn't, it wasn't self-harm, but, you know, now that you say that, I don't know, um, it might affect others. I would hope not. Um, but also I've had a lot of people uh, because on my, on my social media, at least on Facebook to my friends, I do talk about self-harm, like actual self-harm. Right. And um, I've had a lot of people um, message me and thank me for talking about it because it helped them feel less stigmatized for it. Um, so, you know, I, there's been some positives from that. I'm sure, you know, I, I can imagine it might give people ideas and I really hate that it might, um, but also, I'm trying to bring it into the open and people can start talking about it and not feel quite so ashamed of it. Yeah. There was one line in the book that struck me, maybe just because of my own ignorance, perhaps. You wrote, I also had my priest, Uruk, am I pronouncing that correctly? Um, it's Uruk. Uruk. Uh, yeah. Sign his name and mark the paper with his blood. I was I was just curious about what the priest part meant exactly for you guys. Ah, well, so um, before I became a Satanist, I I had vowed to myself to live in sacred space a hundred percent in my own, you know, my own unique religious path, sacred path, um, and uh, you know, my husband Urk was part of that. So he shared in the rituals with me. And so I thought of him as, as my priest, because we were doing these rituals together. Gotcha. Um, so that's where that came from. Um, you know, I, when I was doing rituals before the satanic temple, um, you know, I was thinking of him kind of as my fellow satanic priest. Right. Um, yeah. I thought it may have been a sort of leftover church of Satan related terminology. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it started well before that. Um, 
but yeah, definitely carried over into that. You only sort of vaguely alluded to them in the book, but what is your relationship, if any, with mushrooms or other psychedelics? Oh, um, well, you know, when I was young, I had a lot of eye-opening experiences with psychedelics. And actually, I credit them with um, a, a a lot of episodes that sort of gave me new perspective and helped me think in a new way. Um, and also they felt very much like part of a sacred path, um, the way I was doing them. Like it wasn't usually just like, hey, let's have a party and do these drugs. It, you know, it was something well planned out. Um, we would usually go somewhere in nature. Um, you know, some, sometimes I would have things that I specifically wanted to ponder um, and, you know, it, it felt like a magical experience, I guess. Um, so, and, and they also helped my depression quite a bit. Uh, you know, I, I had really severe depression, um, you know, probably obviously with the self-harm and stuff. And I've, I've had it since I was 12 or so. And, um, you know, right after a mushroom trip and a lot of times um, acid as well. Um, it, it would be like my brain would be reset and that new perspective would kind of like kind of clean out the clutter that I had accumulated in there. Um, and yeah, so it would help for, you know, probably a couple months um, with my depression. And actually they're really uh, starting to do um, clinics and, a lot of research about mushrooms or psilocybin for depression, like Oregon is a, is a big leader in that yeah. uh, and they decriminalized it. So, so yeah, um, they were positive experiences, but you know, as I, as I got older uh, out of my twenties, I, you know, I kind of outgrew it and stopped doing it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's funny. So much of what you just said really rings true for me as well. Um, in my case, I'd never touched a substance of any kind until I was 37 oh. years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I'm just 42 now. Oh. And mushrooms in particular have been such a positive, made such a positive impact, I think, on my life. And and oh, wow. uh, when I, I, I sort of caught a little mention or two of them in your book, and I just wanted to see sort of what, what they had been for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, and an incredibly positive experience. Um, you know, one that I recommend, you know, maybe with some reservations to almost anyone Yeah. because you don't, it, it just gives you this, it, it opens your eyes to the fact that reality might not all be what you firmly believe, you know? Yep. Um, so yeah, they're very positive. Great. So, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, well, I think I read somewhere that you're working on a new book. Yes. So um, you asked me why I stepped down from, um, you know, chapter headhood. Mm. And uh, so one was uh, just the work and the pain that it was putting me through. But um, the other one, the positive one was that I wanted to focus on um, the book I was writing. So uh, I started writing a book in 2017, so a number of years ago. Um, it started out as, uh, you know, um, Lucian asked me to sort of mentor uh, the TST Portland chapter, which was just beginning. Um, and so I wrote a few guides for the, you know, the new chapter heads there and Um, You know, those were on kind of running the chapter and building community. And, you know, as time progressed, I thought of other sort of handy, handy guides um, on different things that I could write. And, um, you know, eventually I had this idea for a book that was firmly on the TSD side. Um, You know, part of my motivation was, well, the happy Satanist comes primarily from Levainism. Now I want to have something that is all TST. Mm. So, um, but yeah, so what the book is focused on is, um, I guess you could kind of say it's like a beginner's guide to satanic practice um, as, as seen 
through the TST lens, but also, you know, through my personal lens. So it isn't meant as like an official textbook or, you know, this is, this is the one way to be a TST practitioner. Um, You know, it's, it's very personal. Most of the things I write are, you know, have, have a very personal feel to them. Um, But yeah, so I'm, I finally, I got the manuscript finished earlier this year. And right now it's in the final stages of design. Um, So it will be coming out, I hope in the next couple months. Um, But yeah, so, you know, the happy sanest is kind of a slim volume. You could, you could read in one night. Um, This book is really large. It's turning out to be over 400 pages. Um, And, you know, I tried to cover you know, everything basic that I could think of, um, you know, the ethical system, the narrative the narrative of Satan, um, you know, taking action, um, activism and that sort of thing. Um, you know, how, how the Satanist takes on the role of the outcast and empowers that role. Um, so, you know, it's, it's meant as sort of like the basics. And then in the back, I have a, a couple very lengthy appendixes. One is um, interviews with other practitioners. So, you know, I'm just one person and the first half is all my words, but I also wanted to hear from other people about different aspects of their practice um, because it's so different, right? Like our religion is one of the few where instead of a single Bible and a single set of instructions and, you know, a very rigid set of dogmatic rules, ours leaves almost everything up to the individual, you know, um, barring those, that kind of core, the ethics and the narrative. Um, You know, beyond that, personal practice is really left to the individual. So I I really wanted to show some of that. So, um, you know, I have people talking about their altar, um, if they make art, like satanic artists, some people with tattoos, um, you know, and also a section on how people came out and what their experience was coming out as a Satanist. Um, And then I have a section that has a bunch of sample rituals. um, And I'm pretty clear that these are just meant as, you know, examples, but you usually make your own ritual according to what you know, you want. Sure. So I tried to make it really comprehensive, basically. That's um, very exciting. It sounds great. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Um, yeah, I just can't wait to get it out. We're looking at maybe early 2021, we think. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, it is going pretty quickly um, with my designers. So, yeah, I'm hoping uh, January or February. Oh, great. It's, it's exciting when we all get a new satanic related book for us all to chew on at the same time, you know? Yeah. Um, something that I've been really excited about is just seeing how many people are starting to contribute to the satanic discourse, whether it's through writing, like I've seen so many people start blogs. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of art done. I've seen a few other books and, you know, then there's people like you who are being kind enough to, you know, put work into a podcast. So there's kind of like an explosion of content um, and communication that's being inspired by TST. And it's, it's just really wonderful to see it blossom like that. Yeah. They are exciting times we're living in right now. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, Well, I won't keep you any longer. I really appreciate you taking the time. Where can people find you online and keep tabs on everything that you're up to? You can find out everything about what I'm doing. And you can also read my blog at my website. And that's lilithstar.com. So there's two R's at the end. But yes, I encourage people to come by and drop me a line and check out the blog or whatever. So yeah. Yeah, I will definitely include links in the show notes and on social media and everything like that. Lilith, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, absolutely. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. You got it. Hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks for time. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, there you have it. That was my interview with Lilith Starr. I think it went pretty well, right? 
let me know. Send me some emails or whatever you got out there. Don't forget to visit our website at HailSatanPodcast.com. And until next week, you all stay safe out there, okay? Hail Satan. Ich bin in Heaven. Die Ebel für